My mom had an expression. I mentioned her earlier today. If we were walking around kind of, uh, you know, under the clouds, she would say, oh, quit being a gloomy Gus. Remember that? Some of you older timers, I don't know who gloomy Gus was, but she would say, don't be such a gloomy Gus. You and I, as Christian people, shouldn't be gloomy Gusses. We shouldn't have critical spirits. We shouldn't be cynical. In fact, the Bible speaks so much about zeal. It speaks so much about fervency and enthusiasm and eagerness and energy and excitement and exuberance. Really, God's people ought to have some of that. Christian people of all people ought to have that. Don't ever lose the wonder of it all. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles, please, at this time and turn to the epistle to the Philippians in the first chapter where we were earlier today and pick up kind of where we left off as we talked about fervent Christianity, fervent Christians being Christians who are passionate about being Christians, uh, zealous Christians and enthusiastic Christians and even intense Christians and having a gusto for God, if I could put it that way. In Philippians chapter 1, we read earlier, beginning in verse 20, we'll read again down to verse 27. Paul the Apostle, writing to a local church, says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You know, Paul says some things here that uh, definitely tell us uh, he had energy, he had enthusiasm, he had passion for what he promoted and what he preached. No question about that. He was a fervent Christian. We, we need to talk about that a little bit more, being a fervent Christian. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, please now help us to listen carefully. May we apply this to ourselves. May we listen as though this is for us and not somebody else. May you show us where we lack zeal, and fervency. Father, I just pray now that you would help us by your Spirit, by your grace, to live the life that becometh a child of God. We ask it all now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And we talked earlier about enthusiasm, didn't we? And I even used my dad and uh, his passion for life growing up. You know, I was thinking about him after the fact and something that he did years ago 
and probably shouldn't, but it kind of gives you an illustration of, of, of what he was like, kind of an imp and a menace even. But we lived on a lake from the time I was a toddler. I mean, we, we spent winters, of course, in town and such, but every summer we went out to the lake, Maple Lake, for the whole summer, from the time I was a little boy, from the time I could remember. We lived in this, this particular house on the lake, a cabin, and, and probably maybe even 200 yards away, um, to the right, as you look at the lake, there was a campground. It was actually a religious campground. It was the United Lutheran Campsite, they called it. And uh, there was a church actually there with big glass facing the lake. And so on Sunday morning, they would have church service, and they'd have this tranquil, you know, placid view of, of the lake during the church services. Well, my dad got an idea. He actually, uh, one Sunday morning, uh, had my brother pull him on a surfboard. First of all, he was sitting on a chair, reading a newspaper, holding a can of something and a cigarette. And he's long since quit smoking. But he had my brother pull him back and forth in front of that church on the lake while they were trying to have church services. Now, he shouldn't have done that, obviously, but that was him. Just, just an imp and a menace. But you never wondered if Dad had a sense of humor. And he did. I said earlier today, you only live once, and so why be a sad sack, and why be a, a bad luck schleprock as you're going through life? Why be a pessimist? Why be melancholy? You don't have to be. I said earlier, you might not have money, you might not have talent, you might not have fame or looks or power or anything the world esteems as something you ought to have, but you can have a good attitude, can't you? Anybody can have zeal. The ground is level when it comes to passion. We can all be passionate. My mom had an expression, I mentioned her earlier today. If we were walking around kind of, uh, you know, under the clouds, she would say, oh, quit being a gloomy Gus. Remember that? Some of you older timers, I don't know who gloomy Gus was, but she would say, don't be such a gloomy Gus. You and I, as Christian people, shouldn't be gloomy Gusses. We shouldn't have critical spirits. We shouldn't be cynical. In fact, the Bible speaks so much about zeal. It speaks so much about fervency and enthusiasm and eagerness and energy and excitement and exuberance. Sum it all up as zip. Really, God's people ought to have some of that. Christian people of all people ought to have that. Don't ever lose the wonder of it all. The Bible speaks of that even. In Revelation chapter 3 and verse 15, Christ was addressing the church at Laodicea. He said, Thou art neither cold nor hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I don't need to explain what it's talking about there, do I? In so many words, Christ says, quit being gray and, and, uh, and, and be black and white or one or the other. Get in or out or up or down or whatever it might be, but, but get with it, otherwise you make me sick. That's what he's talking about here. There was a sign in an Old West funeral parlor many, many years ago, and evidently the mortician had a sense of humor. But the sign in the window of the funeral home said, Why walk around half dead when we can bury you for three fifty? <laughs> well, it'd take a lot more than that today. But we get the point, don't we? You don't have to walk around half dead. In our text here, and we looked at it beginning in verse 20, Paul mentions, first of all, this earnest expectation. Not just any old kind of expectation, but earnest expectation. And then he uses the word hope. My hope. That's a powerful word. Talks about not being ashamed in that verse. Talks about having a boldness, uh, magnifying Christ. 
He goes on, he talks about even being willing to die for the cause of Christ. However, he said, the flip side of that is there's so much to be done here. And to abide in the flesh is more needful for you folks at Philippi. I mean, whatever it was in life or death, he just wanted to do something for God. He speaks later on about rejoicing and joy and, and abiding and all those kind of things. He uses the word continuance and furtherance and those kind of words, always talking about pressing upward and further and higher and more. And then he gets to verse 27. He says something interesting. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, what's conversation? Well, it's words, but the old English word there means more than that. Talking about your life, talking about your behavior, talking about your attitude. And it says, let all that be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. We know what it means if something is becoming, it's fitting. It's appropriate. You look well in it. You wear it well. Well, when it comes to fervor and zeal and all the things you've been talking about here, he says, let's put it on. It's becoming. You know, being a sad sack and being a Christian, they don't go together. Words like Christian and fervor, however, they do go together. Words like passion and Christian, they do go together. God wants us to be passionate Christians, having a can-do spirit. And so as we talk about the fervent Christian... We saw earlier today what I call that passionate attitude. That passionate attitude. Napoleon said that men of enthusiasm rule the world. He went on and he said, men of imagination, men of attitude, a good attitude are those who rule the world. Over in Westminster Abbey, and I've been there a couple times in London, a lot of famous people are buried in the floor of the old abbey there. My favorite, perhaps, would have to be David Livingston, that famous, famous missionary to Africa. Livingston, of course, did great exploits for God's, God there, but he said this before he died. He said, nothing good or great is ever accomplished without enthusiasm. Quote, unquote. He said, no religion is ever propagated, no empire is ever built without enthusiasm. And then he added, men of victory, spiritual victory, are men of enthusiasm. Amen, amen, and amen. Emerson said every great triumph in history is a triumph of attitude. It's a triumph of enthusiasm. Every great triumph in history is a triumph of attitude and enthusiasm. Many years ago, Andrew Carnegie was a, a, a multi-multi-millionaire. He had built this huge steel empire worth mega-millions, mega-millions. He hired a fellow by the name of Charles Schwab to be his administrator. You've heard that name. It's still around with us today. Schwab was so well paid, he made a million dollars a year. It was the first time in history anyone has ever made a million dollars working for somebody. They asked Charles Schwab, how could it be that you're making $3,000 a day? Are you some kind of knowledgeable fellow about steel? He said, no, I really don't know a lot about steel at all. There are a lot of men who know way more about steel than I do. He said, but I can arouse enthusiasm and I can inspire enthusiasm. He said, that's probably my greatest asset. Imagine making that kind of money for that very thing. Enthusiasm actually is a word that uh, we get two thoughts from. An or in, meaning in. Enthusiasm is, uh, is, is where we get theos from. It's actually a word that means God in us, in God, or God in us. Of course, if you're saved, God lives inside of you. The Bible clearly teaches that. And so we ought to be like Christ. We ought to have enthusiasm. Earlier today, we took a look at the Apostle Paul. And we covered his life, and we saw he had a very enthusiastic ministry. But let's go back to the Old Testament, and look at, let's look at somebody called Joseph. 
for just a few moments. Turn back to Genesis chapter 40, if you would. Joseph was a fellow who uh, was promoted in whatever he did. He had such a great attitude. In uh, Genesis chapter 40, we find out that he has gone from first to last, and then from last to first. He was uh, kind of first in Pharaoh's house, and then he's falsely accused. Now he's in the dungeon, he's in last again. But he just was the type that when life dealt him lemons, he made lemonade. So he just made the most of it. Well, we pick it up in Genesis chapter 40 with the dream of a butler and the dream of a baker. Beginning in verse number 5, it says, And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream in one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, they were, which were bound in prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. Now, we could talk about the dream, but that's not the issue here. The issue is Joseph's attitude. I love it. Here's a guy who's falsely accused. He's in a dungeon that he shouldn't be in. And he comes in in the morning having everything to complain about, but he notices others who are sad. That's rare. Most people, when they're bummed out, they don't notice anybody else. They want to be noticed, don't they? But not Joseph. He comes in, good morning, and they're going, blah, 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 and mumbling, and he's saying, what's wrong? Maybe I can help you with it here. That's the kind of attitude he had. You know, I had a, a kind of a bozo, knock em, sock em kind of a, 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 a punching bag when I was a kid, and it was weighted at the bottom. I don't know how many of you had those, but no matter how much you hit it, it just kept pounce, bouncing back up. That was Joseph. I mean, life just kept knocking him down, and uh, he might have wobbled like the weeble, but he didn't fall down, didn't he? He just came, came back up once again, because to him, it wasn't about circumstances. It was about God. He had a bigger God than his circumstances. God was big enough to Joseph, God was great enough to Joseph to make the difference. And so he just kept coming back. You say, well, that's easy for Joseph. Sounds to me like he's uh, one of those type A persons. No, that's not it at all. He just made some choices, and he chose to have a good attitude no matter how life went for him. Look in Joshua chapter 14. Let's look at somebody else. This is one of my uh, favorite uh, supporting actors, if you will, in the Bible. Never did have a main role, but he was incredible as far as playing second fiddle. And his name is Caleb. And we could talk a lot about Caleb, but the bottom line is by this point, the Jewish people had wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. A bunch of them had died off. They're now on the west side of the Jordan. They're taking the promised land. There's an area that really nobody wants because it's full of trees. It's, it's up in a higher elevation, so the enemy had the advantage. I mean, there was just no reason to want that ground. And Caleb said, that's the ground I want. And in Joshua chapter 14, he, he appears to uh, Joshua... In verse number 6, it says, And the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to espy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, 
Surely the land wherein thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain, whereas the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be, the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron, for an inheritance. What an attitude. He's 85 years old. He says, I'm just as strong as I've always been. What faith. And what fortitude he had. What a positive attitude he had. You know, while others were saying, we can't. You know how little kids say, I can't. That was the Jewish people. I can't. And, 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 And Caleb said, I can. And the people said, well, we dare not. And Caleb said, we must. And the people said, it's impossible. And Caleb said, nothing is impossible with God. How true that is. And so here he is. At age 40, he chose to walk with God. Now 45 years have passed. During that time, Caleb's attended a lot of funerals, millions of them. Imagine him in a, in holding a shovel and, and, and burying these people funeral after funeral and overseeing them and, and his friends were dying and others were dying here, but he just keeps a good attitude. Add to that the fact Joshua was his leader. Now, wait a minute. These were peers earlier on. These were contemporaries. I mean, how about a a vote here to see who the next leader is going to be? Or or how about co-leadership? How about a committee? No, God doesn't work that way. If you study your Bible, he picks a man. And so he could only have one man. He picked Joshua. I mean, Caleb was just as faithful, but it's going to be Joshua. We read nothing in the Bible about, about Caleb ever getting bitter about that. That's the kind of guy he was. And now he's coming to get permission of his former best friend saying, can I have that mountain? He's determined, he's confident, and, and, uh, and, and, and the question for me is, how do we live like that? How do we have that kind of spirit? How do we have that kind of attitude here? He's mature, he is unselfish, he just believed God. And he focused on the task at hand, and he knew that God was bigger than that task. He lived above the circumstances, and I find it interesting that the Bible says three times that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. He says it wants of himself. Moses says it wants of him, and then God echoes it and says, yep, that's true about him. He wholly followed the Lord. The ten spies came back with a negative report, and you remember the story. And it was like an infectious cancer. It, it began to spread. Because really our attitude is, is contagious. It's catching. And, and we will find out that we will either set a tone that inspires or we will set a tone that discourages, depending on our attitude here. Mom and Dad, you set the tone in your house, all right? What kind of a tone do you set in your house? Sir or ma'am? When you go to work tomorrow, what kind of a tone do you set at work? That's something to really consider. Those of you singles in the college and career group, you set a certain tone in that age group. What kind of a tone are you setting there? Among your friends, among your peers, we could ask. 
Sir, what kind of a tone are you setting? Ma'am, what kind of a tone are you setting? And let me just stop here for just a second and, 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 and mention that the Bible says the woman is the weaker vessel, right? It's not talking about intellectually or academically. You're not inferior in any way there, ma'am. You're not inferior even physically. You outlive men. You give birth something. I mean, it's, it's rough, okay? And so physically, you're not the weaker vessel. But we know it's emotionally. We've talked about that enough times here where you are going to let your feelings uh, be more apt to dictate how you act, your emotions more apt to dictate how you act. And as the old saying says, if I'm not happy, nobody's going to be happy. You're going to have to watch that. In fact, turn to Proverbs 31 if you would. I think that God purposely placed another example here. And we've looked at, we've looked at at Caleb, we've looked at Joseph, but let's look at the Proverbs 31 woman, as we call her. We don't know her name, we just know the chapter. Turn there, if you would, because God purposely placed, I think, an example in the Bible of a woman especially who had enthusiasm, who had passion, and a good attitude. We pick it up in verse 10, and if you'll excuse the long reading here, I just want you to soak in and absorb the attitude of this woman. Verse 10 says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeketh wool and flax, and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ship. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night, and giveth meat to her household, and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hand she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hand to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness." We could go on and find out what her kids and her husband think about her, but the bottom line is God points out here that this woman has a great attitude, a great outlook, a great disposition, a great demeanor, a great posture. She is just a great gal. What a state of mind. This woman, and I see this as I read it, has determined to be a blessing. That's really what it's all about. Man or or woman determined to be a a blessing, control that self-centeredness. That, that desire to wait on self. Because a bad attitude with unbridled uh, emotions is, is going to lead to bad drama. We don't need that in a household. God help us there. And so men and women, the Bible says so much about zeal and enthusiasm. We see the passionate attitude. But secondly, let's look at some powerful admonitions in the Word of God. Now, earlier we took a look in First Peter, and, and, it, and it mentions those that will love life. Do you love life? I can tell you if you love life based upon your attitude. I need to look no further than your attitude. Do you live life with all your heart? Now, we looked at a number of verses. We didn't look at this one, though. Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek 
the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. We find that expression over and over and over again, with all your heart, with all your soul. And I think it's God telling us to put some heart into it. Put some heart into it. Now turn to the book of First Chronicles, if you would, chapter 22. And back here we find the exchanging of the baton between David and Solomon. We talked earlier today uh, about David's zeal for getting that temple built, something God had denied him the privilege of doing, but something that he said, well, I can at least get the stuff ready, okay? I'll get the materials stockpiled and, and make sure that everything's ready to go so that when I die, well, my son Solomon can take over. And, and the Bible says he did that with all his might. David never did anything half-hearted. <laughs> you, you learn that about him. He wasn't perfect by any means, but what he did, he did with all his heart. So we find the exchange taking place here in, in 1 Chronicles 22, and we pick it up in verse 17. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land unto my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built in the name of the Lord. He said, it's time to get that ark out of those curtains and bring it into this magnificent temple. And he said, guys, I need you to have some enthusiasm. He uses words like set your heart, seek, build, arise. There was nothing passive about about David. Nothing apathetic about David. David was a fellow who was excited. No missing that. Well, turn to Second Chronicles, if you would, while we're in Chronicles. And let's take a look at the great, 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 great grandson, I think that's right, of David Hezekiah. Many, many years later. I like Hezekiah. Again, not perfect, but really zealous for God. And in Second Chronicles 31... We pick up these words about him in verse 20 and 21. It says, And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought or worked that which was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. I love that. Hezekiah didn't just go through the motions. He was serious about this God business. And he prospered as a result. Turn forward to the Psalms, if you would. Psalm 71. There's so much in the Psalms about zeal. So much in the Psalms about fervor and passion and enthusiasm. Now, notice this little tidbit about that in Psalm 71. Here's my point. In verse number 15 of Psalm 71, the psalmist said, My mouth shall show forth thy righteousness and thy salvation all the day, for I know not the numbers thereof. He said, as long as I live, my mouth is going to show forth your salvation and your righteousness. And he said, I'm going to give it everything I got. You know, I mentioned a bunch of names earlier today. Those who have gone before us, those who are not around anymore, like Cleopatra. She's gone. Edison's gone. Beethoven's gone. A Princess Diana is gone, been gone for a number of years. Helen Keller, Charles Dickens, John Lennon, Thomas Jefferson, 
They don't have an opportunity to live on the top side of this earth anymore. It's our time. Alexander Graham Bell is gone, and Reagan is gone, and, and Houdini is gone, and Dr. Seuss is gone, and Plato is gone, and James Dean is gone, and Alfred Hitchcock is gone, Mother Teresa is gone, Mark Twain is gone, Eisenhower, and Hemingway, and Bob Hope, and Louis Pasteur, and we could go on and on. These are folks that have come and gone. They've lived. They've had their opportunity. What they did, they did with zeal, but they're not around anymore. They're all deceased. Now in the 21st century, it's you and it's me, and this is our opportunity. What will we do with it? Look in Proverbs as you're turning forward from where you're at to the third chapter while we're in this neighborhood here. What will they say about us when we're gone? Oh, there's a lot that can be said about those I've rattled off, but what about us? Will they say we really live life with zeal? In Proverbs 3 and in verse 5, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Of course, the rest says, and lean out on thine own understanding. And there's actually a couple of great verses coupled together here. But the point is, we ought to even trust in the Lord, not half-heartedly, but with all thine heart. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 29, 13, God said, ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. It's in there over and over again. There is nothing half-hearted about God. There was a little discourse that took place between Jesus Christ and a man in Luke chapter 10. These words were said in verse 27, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind. I think we get the picture here. With everything we've got. In fact, turn to Luke if you would. Jesus practiced what he preached. And here in Luke chapter 12, we find him speaking in Luke 12. And in verse number 50... We'll get there in just a moment, but I want to explain something. Jesus Christ had not been to the cross yet. He had been baptized. He mentions getting baptized here, but it's not the water baptism that had taken place earlier in the waters of the Jordan by John the Baptist. So what's he talking about here? In Luke 12 and in verse 50, he says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how am I straightened till it be accomplished? Does your Bible have an exclamation point after accomplished? <laughs> Mine does. That tells us he said it with some meaning. Now, he wasn't talking about water baptism. You only need to be baptized once. He was talking about being immersed in something that was still out front, still awaiting him. I think it was the cross. I think it was Calvary. I think it was dying for the sins of this world. And he said, how am I straightened? That word means tightened or narrowed in or, or actually uh, like, like you're going to explode. You feel just so compressed. He's, he's saying, I've just got to go to the cross. I don't think that Jesus Christ went to the cross half-heartedly. We read that he meant business about paying for the sins of this world, about paying for our salvation. By the way, when it comes to salvation, that's not something you do half-heartedly. There's a synthetic gospel going around that you can kind of just shuffle to Christ or stagger to Christ or, or even mosey up to Christ or, what you know, whatever. I'll get saved. That's not the salvation of the Bible. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, we find a, an Ethiopian man riding through the desert and Philip, the Christian, is witnessing to him. And Philip said to him, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest, that is, get baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice the expression, with all thine heart. Talking about, all right, if you really want to put all your trust and all your faith in Jesus Christ and mean it, then you can be saved. 
The Ethiopian said, I mean business. That's the only kind of salvation we find in the Bible. There are a lot of people who have, who have made professions of faith under that synthetic gospel half-heartedly and as a result have made a false profession. Because real salvation involves real heart, all your heart. And if you're saved, let me just ask you, are you enthusiastic about God? Are you passionate about the things of God, about serving the Lord? What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to serve the Lord. In Titus chapter 2 and in verse 14, it speaks of Christ. It says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself, notice, a peculiar people zealous of good works. Now, we don't get saved by good works. We know that. But once we have been saved, we ought to be zealous of good works. A peculiar people zealous of good works. Are you zealous of good works, doing something for God? We find at the church of Corinth somebody by the name of, uh, of uh, Stephanus mentioned. He, he's in the region of Achaia. Paul mentions him in 1 Corinthians 16, 15. He says, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, that's where Corinth is, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Did you know that word's in the Bible? Addicted? It mentions Stephanus and says his household has addicted themselves to the work of the saints, to the work of the ministry. What an attitude. I know people like that. They are like uh, so zealous and so fervent for the ministry and the things of God that they're, that they're inspiring. They encourage you to go on. That was Stephanus. He had addicted himself to the ministry. We see this passionate attitude, this powerful admonition. But finally, let's make a practical application. Because we can talk about Nehemiah, and we can talk about Paul, and we can talk about Job, and we can talk about the Proverbs 31 woman and so on. But the Bible says, now all these things happen unto them for in samples. For they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. They're written for us so that we can look at them and draw something from them. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. All right? What is the practical application here as we look within? Maybe it's time for us to get an attitude adjustment. Maybe it's time for us to demonstrate some enthusiasm. In fact, maybe others are waiting for us to get a, uh, I guess, a fire lit under us, if you will. And maybe that attitude that we have is turning off friends, it's turning off family, it's turning off loved ones, and maybe they're waiting for you to get over it, whatever it is, whatever is causing the bad attitude. Maybe it's time to move on. Maybe it's, it's time to put some excitement back into your life, maybe even live on the edge a little bit, if so need be. Your life is not over. Your life is not over. If you're listening to my voice right now, your life is not over. So enjoy it. Keep developing. Keep growing. Keep looking for ways to help other people. There are so many people in need. We need to get away from the mirror and, and stop thinking about ourselves and stop rehearsing our problems and basically get involved. I was talking to my class earlier today up in the balcony and, and uh, I mentioned a billboard I saw years ago. It simply just said, get out there. <laughs> get out there. And I thought about that as I drove on from it and I thought, I know what that means. Just get out there. Don't start your day with a sigh. Don't end your day with a sigh. Every day is a gift from God. Enjoy that daily gift. It's a blessing from God. It's a treasure to be found. There are truths to be discovered every day. 
And we need those challenges. We need the deadlines even. In fact, even the things we recoil against and we don't want are the very things that keep us sharp. So you say, man, I, I, I don't want the hassles. I don't want the demands. I don't want the problems to fix. Well, we need them. We need them. We need challenges, and we need deadlines to keep us sharp. We need things that require effort. We need things that cause struggle. We need things that make us think and exert energy and, and grapple and strain. Those things are good for us. They, they keep us sharp. They make us sharper. Now, may I also say we need to keep God at the center of our life. Start your day with God. Make Him the core of your day throughout the day, the center of your mind, the central theme of your day. We need to do that every day. It'll help us to stay on the top sign. You know, for the past 30 years, I've tried to do that and, and think of God throughout the day. At age 20, I made God the nucleus of my life. You know what I mean by that? That was when I got saved. I gave Him my heart. I gave Him my soul. I wanted from that point for my life to revolve around Him. And today I love Him. It's a joy to know Him. It's a privilege to serve Him to pursue His goals, to enjoy His life, to share the burdens of life with Him, to go over the mountains and in through the valleys with Him. Life is brief. It really is in light of eternity. I mean, we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. So as somebody said, smile and put your heart into it. Put your heart into it. Put some energy into it. Even the menial things, the little things. Go the second mile. Give it your best. Watch that attitude at home. Watch that attitude at work. Watch that attitude here in the church. Watch that attitude outside these four walls in the community as you live your life throughout the week because this world has enough naysayers, the doom and gloom people. We need to rise above that as Christian people. And we need to have that which becometh a Christian. I was reading this last week about the humpback whale. A humpback whale is huge. They're 50 feet long. 50 tons, if you can imagine that. And yet, with all that size, they're able to, to pull up out of the water 40 feet into the air and go over backwards and smack themselves on, them, on their back. You ever seen that in video? The humpback whale. It's, it's really an amazing thing to get all that speed up and come out of that water 40 feet and get that 50 tons into the air and then smack it on the ground. But that's not everything I learned about the humpback whale. The humpback whale actually makes a 4,000-mile circuit I mean, it's kind of like its own little migration out there in the ocean, and it, it, it goes a certain place, and then it comes back. And, and that's not even the most interesting thing about the whale. The whale, as it's the humpback, as it's swimming through the water, has this song. They've never been able to quite figure out what it's about. But it's a song that takes 15 minutes to sing. And it's a, it's a different song for every whale, and they just keep repeating it. It's like a record player that goes 15 minutes, they'll sing their song as they go through the water, and then they'll repeat it. Now think about this. What a life. The humpback whale for 4,000 miles is going, la, 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 and coming up, whooshoo, woohoo, out of the water, smacking and singing some more and going along a few more miles and coming up, woohoo, and smacking on the ground. What a way to go through life, huh? Take a lesson from the humpback whale. All right? What a way to live. Our text said, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice according to my earnest expectation and my hope. It spells one thing, and that is fervency. May God make us a fervent Christian. 
You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.